You're listening to A Slice of Therapy with me, Alan Parry. Do you think that you would own up to a crime that you never actually committed? Not only that, do you think that you would not only own up to that crime that you never committed, but actually believe that you did commit it? And in fact, not just any crime, but an assault with a weapon. If you never committed an assault with a weapon, do you think you'd both own up and believe that you did and even think that you should be punished for it? Well, I'm sure as you're thinking this, you're thinking, well, of course not. I mean, after all, I'd remember whether or not I'd committed an assault with a weapon. And so if I hadn't, there's no way I would own up to it. There's no way I would believe that I had if I hadn't. And there's certainly no way I'd think I should be punished for it. And yet, the memory researcher, Dr. Julia Shaw, in one of her experiments, was able to convince the majority of her subjects that, in fact, they had. And she did this by asking them questions about a range of things in their life which were true and then started asking them about this time that they had an interaction with the police. And of course, initially they were like, huh, I've not had an interaction with the police. And she was saying, yeah, you know, that time when in the park with your best friend and you assaulted someone with a weapon. And using a variety of techniques, what Dr. Julia Shaw, the memory researcher, was able to do was to ensure that over a series of meetings, eventually, the person who up until that point was completely nonplussed and drew a blank on this memory, because of course it wasn't actually a memory, it never happened, and then would suddenly go and remember a detail. They'd say something like, ah, I remember the sky was blue. And from that one detail, it led them step by step to a point where they were owning up to this crime that they didn't do, believed that they'd done this crime that they hadn't done, and felt quite sincerely that they should be punished for it. And that's quite a shocker, isn't it? That the memory can be changed in that way. And yet this is actually how our memory works. Many researchers do things, studies around things called flashbulb memories. And a flashbulb memory is one of those major events that happens that everyone remembers. Like for the generation above mine, it would be when JFK was shot, for instance. Or for my generation, it might be 9-11. And what the researchers do with these flashbulb moments is they'll ask people to write down what they were doing on the day. And then sometime later, they'll ask them again and they notice 
that 50% of the details have actually changed. And so maybe it's not so surprising that Dr. Julia Shaw was able to change people's memory in that way. You see, what the memory researchers know is that memory is more like a Wikipedia page than something that's held ourselves. It's kind of constructed between us. And so when Julia Shaw was asking these questions, she was able to convince people that they'd done a crime. Now, the reason that she was doing that research and wanted to show that this was possible is because she was concerned about false confessions in the criminal justice system. And she was concerned about the ways that certain techniques of police interrogation could actually lead somebody to admit to a crime that they hadn't in fact done. And so that's why she did it. She wasn't just having a bit of fun. But it's interesting, isn't it, that memory can be changeable and that 50% of the details of our memory are not actually reliable. Now, that's true of what you might call autobiographical memory, that kind of memory that tells a story of first I did this and then I did that and I said that to so-and-so, those kind of facts of the matter, if you like. But there is actually another kind of memory which is far less malleable in fact, is really, really difficult to change. At one point, researchers thought it was impossible to change. And that is the bodily memory. That is the limbic system response that we have about significant things that have happened to us. And so, for instance, when we go into a fight or flight kind of response to something, maybe a colour, for instance, the was significant to a scene that was troubling in our past, for instance. The reason why a fight or flight automatically triggers at that point is because that version of memory, the emotional memory, the limbic system, the bodily memory, is actually pretty solid. So Julia Shaw might be able to play with the facts of the matter, but in terms of the feelings of the matter, that's a different thing entirely. And so when something significant happens in our lives, our body will remember it. And in fact, it remembers it in such a way that its aim is to keep us safe. If you were to stand by a bush one day and a lion should suddenly emerge, then your body will remember that that kind of bush may well be a dangerous thing. And so when you stand by any kind of bush in future, you'll probably have some sort of bodily reaction, some sort of anxiety, some sort of fight or flight response, which is designed to keep you safe. And so the, the kind of facts of the matter in inverted commas, doesn't matter too much if they change and an odd detail of the story, even 50% of the detail of the story should change because what the body's really interested in as an organism is to keep you alive. And so it's the emotional responses, it's the limbic system responses that it makes sure that it holds tight to, to remember. Now, as I say, these are so fixed that there was a time, only until about 20-ish years ago, in fact, that it was thought that these simply couldn't be rewritten. And so if you had a fight or flight response and adrenaline response to something, or if you went into shutdown, then that's just the way it was. You were always going to react that way. 
And yet we now, we now know, thanks to studies in neuroscience, that these bodily responses can actually be written. The bodily memory can actually be changed. And we can do that bodily change through something called memory reconsolidation. And as I say, it was discovered by neuroscientists about 20-ish years ago. And using this technique, we can actually use this in therapy to ensure that your bodily response, those kind of autonomic responses that almost seem like they happen to you, that fight, that flight, that freeze response that happens, that we can actually change them. And so that thing that was once considered fixed and that we were just stuck with those responses, we now have real techniques by which to change that and to free you of those bodily responses so that the body's memory can become just as rewritable as the autobiographical memory. And it's a really important aspect of therapy because when we rewrite those sides of us, it creates transformational change. Not the kind of change where we relapse, but change where it alters for good. And so it's really, really powerful. And so we start off thinking that the autobiographical memories can be changed pretty easily, as Dr. Julia Shaw showed, but that the bodily memory was fixed. And yet now we know and we can actually bring techniques into the therapy room which can free you from those autonomic responses where you go into fight or flight or freeze. And it's really, really powerful to ensure that that bodily memory can be changed just as easily as the kind of thing that Julia Shaw was doing. Now, when we do those techniques, we actually leave the autobiographical memory intact. So you still know what happens to you. But your bodily response to it changes. And because your bodily response to it changes, your state stays much more stable. Even when you think back or even when you face again situations that were similar to the ones that happened back then. And this is the powerful thing, I suppose, because it's a lot like Maya Angelou once said. She said, people don't remember what you say to them, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And that's true of events, too. You won't necessarily remember the full detail of everything that happened. But you'll remember how they made you feel. And those feelings from back then that get re-triggered in the here and now can have a big impact in terms of how life goes and how you respond to situations and whether you're responding to situations in ways that are as empowering as they could otherwise be. And so, given that we won't necessarily remember the, the kind of verbal memories of exactly what happens, and those are open to change, but we remember how they made us feel. The fact that we now have these techniques in order to change the way we feel, it means that our bodily responses change as well. And so our states change. And when our states change, so do our stories. 
you know, there's three different places that we can be in at any one time. They're each part of our nervous system. We can be okay and we're socially engaged and we're able to interact with others. Or we can be in fight or flight or we can be in freeze. And whichever state we're in will actually change our story. And so by having these methods by which you can change the state and be in control of your state, when difficult things happen, things that seem familiar, seem like they're an echo of difficult things from the past, by changing how the body responds, it changes your state, it changes your story, and it changes your life. And so if you like this idea, please feel free to share the episode. If you'd like to work on that kind of thing with me directly, I'm Alan Parry. You can find out more at liverpoolpsychotherapy.co.uk. And please subscribe to the podcast. It's completely free and there's a new episode every day. So thanks for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow with another one.